Hello, everyone. Welcome to Covfefe Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, April 27th, 2020. I am your host, Carter Laren, and uh, I am operating from a new setup, so I apologize if I look like I don't know what I'm doing. I kind of don't. Monitors have changed. Things have changed. But uh, welcome. I am here with the same person that I am here with every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. The indomitable. Cameron oh, Smith. <laughs> I like this new adjective. Cool. Hi, Carter. How are you? Bad man pajama. <laughs> you can call me whatever you want. I like it though. Fair enough. How are you doing? How are you? Uh, I'm good. I just had a coffee with uh, one of our viewers, a knitter who I met through Unsafe Space, who doesn't live too far from me, and that was cool. She came up. We had coffee. Walked around the town square, talked about stuff. Uh, that was really cool. I like I like meeting people who, you know, well, before this, uh, through the civility dinners, I was meeting lots of new people as well. And um, I don't have, I, I, you know, I like meeting people and it, it was really fun. And she also is, she said to tell you hello. Her name is Sue. And she said she's also a bit of a prepper. Hi, Sue. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of prepping, I have so you know that I'm carnivore diet, uh, but yeah, uh, I we we totally went off the rails this weekend because um, just out of prepping, like I I ha we have to plan for like no meat, right, and be able to do stuff. So I I'm gonna brag about this. It's a minor thing, but I'm bragging anyway. Uh, check this out. This bread. I made bread <laughs> from wild yeast that I cultivated from nothing, from like from just flour, uh, and it tasted good. So success. We we had a, a carborific weekend. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I love it. So I can't believe you made that. I did. Well, Sue also bakes bread, so you have that in common. Someone yeah. just asked why I'm in twilight. It's because I forgot to turn my light on. Would it would you like me to get up and turn my light on? <laughs> everyone, <laughs> Carrie, entertain everyone. I'll go turn my light on. Oh, I thought she meant you look like a vampire, like Twilight the book. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, hello guys, welcome. If it's your first time here, you're watching Unsafe Space. This is a show called uh, Cafefe Break that we do live on Mondays and Fridays, and. Uh, you can visit us online at unsafespace.com. We have we do a book club, and book club is coming up in a week. We're, the book we're currently reading is really short. You have time to join us. It, we're doing um, Animal Farm by Orwell. So, um, hey, when you come back, it says there's a huge volume difference between you and me. Oh, uh, who's lighter? Who's who's louder? You. I think I'm louder because they're telling you to turn up your mic. Oh, I can do that. Uh, I think. We'll, cool. we'll see. Hold on. All right. If, if that's too loud, someone has to tell me. I don't want to, like, make it too loud. So uh, if that's too loud, please let me know. I think, I guess, levels got, got mucked with as well. So, Carrie, um, speaking, of, speaking of prepping and sheltering in place and all that crap, um, I'm over this. I know I was early. I was early. Uh, I was early sheltering in place. Um, I was intentionally early sheltering in place because I was following the data. 
uh, and there was a lot of unknowns, and I didn't think people were paying attention, and they weren't doing the thing that made sense. So I did what made sense for my family and for me, and we sheltered in place early. Uh, we have more data now. We've been watching things progress, and I am I am freaking over this shelter in place stuff. Not just because it's not emotionally, although I guess although I'm more of a homebody, so it doesn't really matter for me. Uh, but there's no reason to be doing this anymore. There's no like it's there's no reason to be doing this anymore. This is just the tyrants got a little bit of power and they're just getting off on like. I wonder if we can yeah. make them dance. Like, I don't know. What are they going to ask us to do next? Yeah. It's, um, by the way, just because a little ragamuffin just said this in chat and Sue, who I was just having coffee with, said the same thing, the same thing. Uh, little ragamuffin says, watch out for food shortages. Meat processing plants in the U.S. are shutting down at an alarming pace, claiming that employees have contracted C-19 and it's no longer safe to operate the plants. Yeah, Sue was telling me, and I'll tell you guys in our audience, she's going to go stock up on meat for her freezer today because um, there's a lot of meat processing plants that are now gassing, like they're having to kill off. They're gassing chickens, uh, pigs, cows. Um, and, you know, they're going to, we're going to see a meat shortage most likely. So I'm, I appreciate when people share their insight and predictions with me because it's the second person right here in the space of 30 minutes telling me the same thing. I'll share it with you guys. Um, if you have a freezer, maybe stock it up. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we have a freezer full of meat. But yeah, I, the other thing you can do is I have seen this. If you, We haven't tried to do this, although it's on my to-do list. A lot of farmers who um, – they're so supply chains are typically uh, pretty fixed. Like if you're a farmer who supplies to restaurants, for example, um, you're going through a particular supply chain that's not the supply chain that gets to Safeway. Or whatever your I don't know what's a what's a uh, what's a Texan chain uh, H E B. It's not the H -E same supply chain that goes to H E B or to Safeway or whatever. Um, and so what's happening sometimes is even though there's shortages of things at uh, Safeway, there might be gluts actually uh, back at the at where they're produced because their supply chain is headed to the wrong spot and that supply chain's been shut down. So I have heard uh, examples of people getting going to farmers who normally supply to restaurants and they're just like giving them really cheap. If you want to, you know, you don't get the nice butchered stuff. It's like, do you want a quarter of a cow? And they'll, and you can, they'll be like, yeah, sure. Or you can like buy a whole cow or a half a cow or whatever. You can buy a whole bunch of beef and um, you got to do the butchering yourself. But uh, it's a cheap, it's a cheap way to do it. And I think there's uh, quite a few farmers who are left with this uh, overproduction of livestock and they don't know what to do with it right now. So, Yeah, uh, duty rated in chat says that he or she heard from a Iowa pig farmer Saturday who's killing her hogs because she can't get them processed. Oh, damn. Yeah. Damn. Um, it's it's All that bacon yeah. just gone to waste. I'm hearing this from lots of people. So if And then there's a lot of people in chat who are already prepared, which is cool, like Elva El Caro. I know we have a lot of people who plan and prepare like you do carter ahead of time oh, anybody who's like do, me do you rated is planned and prepared as well in <laughs> chat let me let me assure you <laughs> okay yeah uh, i just had a friend of mine um a friend of mine said that her neighbor also a little bit proud hold on let me read this to get this correct she says her neighbors have a hundred chickens for meat meat chickens not uh not egg chickens the difference 
100 chickens. They have hogs, an entire orchard. They have cows now. Um, <laughs> they're like, her neighbors are just like totally, totally prepped out. Um, I don't know if that's going to be totally necessary, but okay. But you're ready. I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, people are, people are lamenting in chat the loss of bacon. I, I, you know what? I, I was a, a lot of things have changed about me in the past three or four years. A lot, obviously. I left my old belief system, SJW ideology. I also became a Christian. I also started eating meat. Now, I had, for 23 years, I was a, I did eat meat. I was a pescatarian. I only ate seafood um, for 23 years. And I started eating meat a couple years ago. And uh, I like almost everything I've tried since then, except bacon. I'm one of the weird people who, I've always hated bacon ever since I was a child. The smell of it makes me nauseated. <laughs> I know that makes me unusual. This, but, is why, this is why there will never be a shared unsafe space kitchen. Uh, <laughs> because I literally have a giant skillet just for making mounds of bacon all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like the smell of it cooking in the morning when I was a kid would wake me up and I'd have to open a window like, <laughs> What are we going to do for the offsite? What are we going to do for the company uh, offsite, Carrie? Um, It'll be fine. It'll uh, be fine. But yeah. <laughs> Um, By the way, speaking of, speaking of the company, we are, you know, Unsafe Space generally, uh, we should celebrate with everyone. We hit 4,000 subs. I think we're over it now. But there's a screenshot. Thank you. Uh, Ninja Kitty definitely did his part in, in pushing subscribers, and I know a lot of you did, so thank you very much. Um, yeah, we hit 4K. That's a celebration thing. I'm so excited, you guys. Like, we are really, you know, thank you to everyone. Even, like, everyone who subscribed, every view. Um, every, every time you share a video, like we're just really, and I'm, I'm really, I'm loving the community of people, um, like Sue, who I just met with. I'm loving the community of people who are growing, growing up the community that's growing around the show. And, um, and, and yeah, I'm just, I'm very grateful. Thank you. I think my dad was maybe subscriber number 4,000. He finally <laughs> subscribed awesome. to the pot, to the podcast yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, Carrie, just so you know, you're thanks, not Dad. alone. I know Keith, the hat guy in chat is a, I know he's a vegetarian. I think he's still a vegetarian. Um, he was when I knew him years ago when we hung out. Um, but he says, Carrie appears to be still alive after 23 years of no meat. So there's different opinions. Well, I did have meat. meat. I, I ate fish. I was pescatarian, not vegetarian. Oh, fair but enough. yeah. Fair enough. Um, I don't know, Carrie, there's, uh, I guess a couple things. Oh, wait, we have a super chat and I have to, I have to use the new super chat feature wait how do i do <laughs> i already forgot how to do this hold on rj says he's been here go. since one 100 subscribers thank you rj we're so happy to have you and daniel keen thank you for the super chat he says i just want to see my name on the screen again <laughs> there you go daniel well it almost didn't happen because i wasn't sure what i was doing but yeah um <laughs> carrie uh there was a video there was a video this um, I guess on I guess I saw the first saw this on Friday um, that I don't know who someone shared it with us I don't know who someone shared this video with us and it was a video of Dr. Erickson um, from Accelerated Urgent Care in Kern County which is ba Bakersfield they're in Bakersfield California and he was talking about um, the coronavirus stuff and I know you saw this video but. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's a good time to maybe talk about some of the points that he made in this video because, uh, in general, I really liked it. The, the, 
The bad thing is I had a really negative reaction to the video right away because he did something that was mathematically or statistically a no-no um, right off the bat. But the, everything else he said after that was great. So. I don't know if I agree with you about that. So explain to oh. me. Well, let's go through it. Let's go through this video. First, if you haven't seen it, it's two doctors from California. They're giving a press conference where they go through a bunch of the data about the coronavirus. And then they also go through some really heartbreaking things that we've been talking about since the beginning. And I know you guys have been aware of since the beginning, which is that government lockdowns are the, the, the so-called cure, the way that we're handling this has repercussions far beyond what we can even imagine. It's not just about 22 million and counting people who've been forced out of their jobs. And are, you know, it's not just about that. It's about, they started talking about child molestation rates going up, which we knew would happen, like uh, child abuse, um, domestic violence goes up, suicide rates, depression, anxiety. Um, you know, there's, there's things we can't even fathom that are happening. So they actually kind of touched on that too. If you guys haven't seen the video, we'll put the link in chat. You should definitely give it a watch. But, um, but yeah, I'm ready to start. Thank you, Ninja Kitty, for the super chat <laughs> with um, your name. <laughs> yeah, Ninja Kitty just wanted to see his name on on chat, which is cool. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so FYI, I did invite him and or his business partner on to the channel. I haven't heard back from them yet. I imagine they're probably swamped because they uh, they did get a lot of attention for this video. But he's um, one of the co-owners of this this company, Accelerated Urgent Care in in Bakersfield. And I'll, let me just start off with what I didn't like because someone just asked in chat what was wrong with the video. And, and also, Carrie, you said this was something that you, you might disagree with me about. Um, so a good place to start. Uh, but the caveat here is uh, everything else was great about the video. So um, I was really shocked at, at, at what I will categorize as the misapplication of statistics. So what he did was he said that in California, um, let me, I have the numbers here, hold on. He said that in California has 33,865 COVID cases out of um, 280,900 that were tested. Um, then he just divided them. <laughs> he just divided those two numbers and said, well, 33,000 is 12% is, is of 280,000. Therefore, and then he extrapolated out to the entire population of California and said, therefore, 12% of the population uh, has been infected. And that is not how statistics <laughs> works at all. Uh, well, I thought... The people tested were not random samples. Right, right. Well, so because they were not random samples, you can't, you can't... extrapolate. Oh, I know. But I didn't take it the way you're taking it. I took it to mean... What do you mean? Like I did, I did like, like he compared in the same, he went on to compare other places, some of which, um, have a higher rate than 12%, which are also not random samples. And I thought, it, I thought the, I thought it was obvious that these are not random samples. And so this is, this is just, uh, the people, like, I, I didn't, I don't know. I guess I didn't find that to be confusing. This is just based on what confusing. we know. He was wrong. Oh, okay. I, he, he didn't say he didn't like. He, he didn't he say at it, least 12% of the population. It's not at least 12%. That's also wrong. He, oh, wait. No, but. He said we can extrapolate. He said, literally, we can extrapolate this out. He used the word extrapolate. We can extrapolate this out to California. Roughly 12% have, that means that if, if we extrapolate it, 12% have been infected. And he did it with New York and he did it with Spain. 
that is not correct because the, the, the samples aren't random, which means that they are skewed. They're self-selecting samples of mostly people with symptoms or exposure. You're going to have higher numbers. It, the entire reason the Stanford seroprevalence study was done was precisely because you can't do the division and extrapolation that he just did. That's why right. they had to do a seroprevalence study. So, and their number, by the way, was 12.8 or 2.81% in Santa Clara County. Um, so, and that, and they were even very hesitant to say like, we're going to extrapolate that, which is actually random and worth extrapolating out to all of California. That's a reasonable thing maybe to do, but they were even like, well, that's Santa Clara County. Uh, so take, so that bothered me right away because I, I don't think those statistics were necessary for anything else he had to say. They weren't, he didn't need to say it. He didn't need to do that. He didn't need to say it. And it was wrong. It's just wrong. Um, but Everything else. I, I guess I thought I, I'm, I'm not articulating myself well. Let me see if I can explain this. I know I know the limitations of non-random sampling, and so it didn't bother me to look at numbers of how many people who have maybe presented symptoms or not. The non-random people, what percentage of those actually had it? You know what's funny is right, I did see. Said, an, but he used the word, right. Carrie. He said I'm. Ex he said I'm using that as a basis to extrapolate out to okay. the rest of the population. That's the error. Not the error isn't to say of the people we tested, twelve percent. The error is to say that twelve percent <laughs> applies later. That's all. Elizabeth says, "Damn it, Jim! I'm a doctor, not a." <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Star Trek. Was it Star Trek? It was Star Trek. Yes, it's it's bones. It's the it's yes, it's Star Trek. It's the only uh, not the only good Star Trek, but the best Star Trek for the old Star Trek. Yeah, uh, that's so, yeah. funny. That's um, so funny. Wait, um, wait. Well, Elizabeth is quoting Carol Burnett. Who no, somebody that? was oh. asking if that was a Carol. Oh. So uh, I did see a non a, a study that was a non or, or a figure that was a, from a non-random sampling, and it was from New York. It wasn't. He didn't mention this. Um, but this was a few weeks ago. I saw this and it was from, it was a hospital in New York who was testing, um, pregnant women who were coming in to deliver. Mm. So they were just giving every pregnant woman who came in. So sure. non, I mean, at least, it should be at least at less least, correlated to like COVID stuff, right? Right. It should be less correlated to COVID stuff. Cause these are just every woman who's coming in to deliver, let's test her. And they found, I think it was 13% of people were infected but only of that 13%, I think it was only like 5% or something had shown symptoms, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So we don't have to dwell on that because that was the one thing. And that, that kind of set me off at the beginning because I was like, oh, God, come on. Why are you doing this? And, and the frustrating thing was everything else he said was great and he didn't need those numbers. Um, so let's jump into the stuff he said that was great. Um, and by the way, Keith, Keith the Hack Guy would like to say thank you, Keith, for the super chat, by the way. Keith is doing a fact check here. Keith is a pescatarian. He's always been a pescatarian. He's never been a vegetarian. All comrades know Keith is a pescatarian. So I'm totally wrong about Keith ever being a vegetarian. I, I apologize deeply uh, for your up, murderous rage against fish. Uh, sorry, up, I got uh, that wrong. Jen, thank you for the super chat, Jen. She had a question for us. Did you see that one? Oh, wait, I missed that one. Oh, sorry, Jen. I missed your super chat. Jen, Jen asks, what, inter what interview do you recommend that people watch? You've mentioned one a few times. I think it's an older one. Not a lot to go on, I know. Well, it depends on what interview you're thinking of. Um, most recently, I think the interview with the constitutional lawyer, 
Chris Ann Hall is very good and it's not that long. It's about 45 minutes and uh, she gives you a lot of information. It's easy to digest in that amount of time. And the other recent interview, I think that's really very, very worthwhile is Dr. William Allen, who Nicole hooked us up with. Um, He's a professor and historian who talks about everything that's wrong with the New York Times new uh, 1619 project, which is, I will, I will characterize it as an SJW um, skewing of history. And, and it's not just that what's wrong with this, it's that they've turned it into a curriculum that they're putting it into, they're putting it in schools now, and they're teaching this crap. And Dr. William Allen was really knowledgeable, but also just the kind of guy who is full of information, but you can listen to him talk forever. Like he, he really, I wasn't tired by the end of it. It's like, I would love to sit in on his lectures. Um, yeah, he you're was gonna- great. He was really good. I, I kind of wanted him to be my dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he would, and it depends on the topic, right? So if you're interested in that, Dr. Allen, if you're interested in like trans issues, um, Linda Blade was really good, uh, especially trans, oh, yeah. trans in sports. That was a really good interview. Um, if you're interested in the science behind it, there's an old interview with, uh, Dr. Colin Wright, which is good on that topic. Um, yeah. Oh, well, and if you're interested in the child sex trafficking or not sex trafficking, uh, grooming gang scandals in the UK, Maggie Oliver's a great interview that was, but, uh, okay. One more super chat and then we move on. Yeah. Ninja Ninja (laughs) Kitty is tired of seeing, uh, Keith's name in super chat. So. Thank Sorry, you, Ninja uh, <laughs> Kitty. Wins. <laughs> Thank you, Ninja Kitty. Um, okay, so Carrie, let's go over some stuff that this guy said that was awesome. Now, my favorite thing about this guy is he's doing the thing that um, I, I won't say the left. Neither side likes to do whenever they have any uh, agenda. Whenever there's any political agenda for anything, they hate asking. They hate doing actual cost-benefit analyses. They hate saying. Well, here's the here's the here's what we should do, and this is what it will get us. And then and then they hate actually asking the question of like, well, what will the costs be? They want to sweep all the costs for whatever they want under the rug. Um, environmentalists are particularly good at ignoring every cost uh, for every policy they ever do. Um, it's all it's all upside. And so if you look at how the coronavirus uh, shelter in place stuff is being done, there is. Other than sometimes from Trump, who gets yelled at for this, there are no real leaders saying, uh, you know, there's costs to these things. <laughs> this, is, this isn't just like we have to prevent death at all costs. There are costs here that really need to be looked at. And um, one thing I liked about what Dr. Erickson, Erickson was doing was he was saying like, hey, we need to actually let's look at some of these costs. And he enumerated some of these costs in a way that I thought was very compelling. So um let's just look here so the first thing he he talked about which i know uh really tugged at your heartstrings and and a lot of people's carry was he talked about the fact that child molestation has been increasing uh since the shelter in place orders in fact he said the words he used were increasing at a severe rate um he talked about spousal abuse (sighs) he talked about alcoholism he talked about depression. He talked about anxiety. He talked about suicide. All these um, are, you know, tangential or secondary factors to to coronavirus stuff. Um, and so, but all those matter, right? Suicide rates will go up and have, I think, um, 
and you'll see more depression, anxiety, and, and all these horrible other effects. So those are very important. But he also pointed out some stuff that I thought was, was great, which was he talked about a couple things. One was the effect on the hospital. So one, one thing that's happening is staff that are not dealing with COVID are being sent home. In fact, people are being furloughed. Hospitals are ramping down. A lot of hospitals are ramping down. He, he pointed out that in some places in the country, it's different, right? Obviously, New York City has got a different characteristic than Bakersfield, California. But um, you've got a lot of hospitals ramping down, and um, this is going to be bad in the coming months. And the reason for that is he explained the how the immune system works which we kind of a lot of us kind of know intuitively but not obviously to anywhere the detail that he did and it was great to have someone explain look this is how the immune system works and mm -hmm. what he did was he said look we need exposure to antigens um if you seal yourself in a bubble your immune system will become depressed and then you're more like you're more likely to get uh, disease after that. Once you once you come out, he said, all these people are gonna. They've been washing their hands incessantly. They've been wiping down all their surfaces. They've been wearing masks. Their immune systems are going to be depressed because they have no exposure to germs. And what's going to happen is they're going to go out when these when these uh, shelter in place orders are lifted. They're going to go out and they're going to get sick. And the hospitals will have ramped down staff. And so we're going to have actually an influx of patients after these shelter-in-place orders are over with other diseases because um, they're not going out. Not only on compounding that, not only will that be a reason why we'll have an influx of patients, but there are a lot of people who are afraid to go to the hospital because of COVID now or afraid to go to the doctor, so they're letting their other conditions develop. Um, and I thought that was a great point. Yeah. Somebody in chat is asking, aren't there some positive effects of the lockdown as well? Like what, seven weeks in Miami with no murders. I don't, I don't know if that stat is true, but yes, I'm not surprised. There are, there are positive things as well. There's less car crashes and stuff too. I'm sure it's just, I don't think any of those positive benefits outweigh the negative repercussions. And I also, even if they did, I still, I still don't like, as a matter of principle to me, I don't think you can suspend constitutional rights for any reason. So uh, right. Yeah. I'm not, I, you and I are in agreement on the matter of principle thing. Um, but if you just want to look at this from a practical cost benefit analysis, you have to throw in those benefits like, okay, yeah, fewer, fewer car accidents, but you know, you could throw the entire population in jail and there would be no car accidents, but you know, there's, there's other downside to that. So, um, anyway, so yeah, he, he says that. And then he talked about one of the things that I like he talked about was, um, you know, he talked about the immune system stuff, and uh, he also mentioned how they're miscounting COVID deaths, which we've mentioned briefly. Um, I think it was Maria Tuscan who first pointed this out to me and sent me information about some other doctors talking about this. But what we're doing right now is if someone, so normally when someone dies, you have to determine why they've died. They could have, let's say they had uh, coronavirus and pneumonia and diabetes and heart disease. They could have had a bunch of things, right? Whatever. Um, well, you have to determine like, well, what was the, what were the, what actually killed them? It might not be one thing. It might be a slew of things that put stress on their system and whatever. Um, but what they're doing now is if, and so, so it's never the case where you just say normally, you just, you don't just say, well, this thing was present at death. Therefore this thing caused death. That's not how death is calculated. 
but they are doing that with COVID. And he also mentioned that their doctors are under some pressure to declare that it's a COVID death, even though I think the example he used was like, the person's been smoking for 20 years. That's what caused their death, not COVID, right? It wasn't COVID. COVID might've been the straw that broke the camel's back in this particular case, but they didn't die of COVID. And I think that's a valid point because we are miscalculating. Um, we're, we're, we're adding deaths in a way that we shouldn't. So I think he had some great points and his, his fundamental point was it's time. I, I think he and his, his uh, business partner both were saying when this first came out, it was reasonable to shelter in place. Obviously, I don't, I don't agree with that. And Carrie and I just said that. But they were saying the response was reasonable at the time because there was an unknown and there was a lot of fear and there was concern about the virus. But now that we have more data, it's time to open, uh, open things back up because there are real costs that are being measured, right? There's uh, phantom risks and real costs. Yeah. I saw, well, speaking of, you know, there being an incentive to add deaths into the COVID death count, I saw Pennsylvania just had to take 200 names off of their death count of people who did not actually have coronavirus. Did you see that one? Oh, I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. And they have, they have an incentive to, to list it as coronavirus because they get funding. Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that stupidly, that makes makes sense. Sadly, that makes sense. Um, um, yeah. yeah, it's I don't know. It's going to be this. This is just the fallout. The, the The thing I liked about this video was that it's two doctors. Um, they're they're going through and they're laying out a lot of the stuff that we and other people have talked about, like the the things that I guess that short sighted people aren't considering, you know, and um, and coming from you know, it, it's funny because the a lot of the people who are on the side of government tyranny who are perfectly okay with the government telling you suspending your rights arbitrarily and saying you know you can go to work you can't go to work you can go to work you can't go to work the people who are okay with that try to hide behind science a lot of them um which even if the science even if the numbers were matching up to the, the um, doomsday predictions, I'm still against. It's a matter of principle. That's a, you don't you don't suspend principle. You don't say, right. "Well, I'm against the government arbitrarily forcing some people not to work," except for in these, you know, like so. I I, I don't get that way of thinking anyway. But they try to justify it based on the science. And when you show them, well, what about these dogs? There's been plenty of virologists and doctors and, and specialists who've disagreed with some of the predictions and but when you show them that it reveals that it's not about science it's never been about science for them that's just a convenient justification they're trying to use it's not about science for them it's that they are fine they like either either it's fear they're motivated by fear or they're motivated by wanting to control people it's one of those two things at least in my opinion that's a, that's what i see it no, comes no, down I, to that i agree they won't. They won't look at science. They won't look at any experts who disagree with them. They only they cherry pick. They only want. To, and you know, looking at science requires you to look at people who disagree with your opinion, especially in something new and evolving like this. Yeah, but, and and the, and science doesn't tell you policy. Science doesn't tell you what the government should do. Science gives you information about how the world works. That's it, or how the world mm-hmm. is working currently. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't tell you what policies should be in place. Um, you know, 
in a in a free society in which the government would never force you to shelter in place one one thing that authorities might do is share with you raw data and be like and and they might share science with you and be like hey well this is what we're seeing this is the risks these are the people we think are most likely at risk these are the things that might help these are the things that might not help this is how it's transmitted it survives a 24 hours on cardboard and three days on plastic or whatever it is like those are all important things that people can use to make decisions businesses can use them to make decisions themselves um but you know i do want to point something out though because i've seen a lot of like we have to shop like there's been a lot of like criticism of the federal government which you know i've got a lot of criticism for the federal government stored in my my closet right I, I, there's lots of things that i can't stand about the federal government trump is not the one shutting the country down the only thing trump's doing is uh my understanding is shutting down uh travel out of the country and in the country like those are the he's, he's yeah. shutting down the u.s borders He's not the reason for your shelter-in-place borders. Fauci is not the reason for your shelter-in-place orders. Those are that's your local governments, and that's your local that and not, state governments. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I wanted to say, well, Maria. Well, before I get to that, Elizabeth in chat. I don't know if you saw this, and I'm really sorry, Elizabeth. She says my grandfather could be classified as a COVID-related death because his cardiologist wasn't seeing patients and he had a stroke. Oh, God, that's horrible. You know what I mean? Like, that's really, I'm really sorry. And I hear what you're saying. Um, they, but that's, but actually, it, it probably won't be classified. That's the weird thing. They're not, they're not paying attention to costs like that, right? Yeah. Um, he couldn't go to see his doctor and, yeah. Um, but so Maria, Maria is saying, and I, I kind of agree with this, with what some people were saying in chat before we started. Mm -hmm. The I think the protests have been useful, like Little Ragamuffin does, in showing people that, look, there's a lot of people who are not in okay with this, who are not okay with the government closing businesses, small businesses mostly. And um, and I think that, I think they've they've served a purpose, and they may may still continue to serve a purpose. But I think it's time to move on to the next step, which we're starting to see, which is which is small business owners saying, "I'm opening." Sorry, like, and and it's happening here in Texas. There's a salon owner who's went ahead and opened up, and the a, a local judge sent her a, a cease and desist or something. They basically told her she couldn't open, and and she's on on the news on camera ripping it up. Good for her. Nice. There's another restaurant in Texas that said, "Sorry, we're opening," and in that case, the government has the local government has backed off. They said they're not going to pursue it. I think they realized it would be bad PR for them. Uh, the salon owner is operating. They've told her they're going to shut her down. She's operating, and there were protesters outside of her business today to protect her, like on her side. Um, wow. There, uh, there's a New York uh, tailor. I saw that if you guys, I don't know if you saw this article, um, who sells, you know, ex nice, expensive uh, men's suits, and there was a big piece on him this weekend where he said, "I'm opening, come hell or high water." Like, what are you going to do about it? I have to open yeah. to no, stay afloat. That that's totally the right thing to do. Um, and obviously, everyone has to make their own decision about whether, you know, that's something that they want to do. But, um, hey, if there's a barber in the Bay Area that wants to open, let me know. Cause I, I need to get my hair cut. Um, yeah. And yeah. even even people who are not business owners, I think if you start, um, 
you know, Keith, the hack guy has mentioned this, like civil disobedience. Uh, it may seem like a small, silly thing, but if your beach is closed, he posted a photo of himself at the beach. His beach is closed. It's completely empty. And he, and you know, he's like, here I am at the beach violating the order because sunshine and exercise is good for me. And the government shouldn't be allowed to tell me I can't go here. And, uh, you know, just in small ways, like if there are businesses that open, some of the small businesses in my little town are starting to open up. And I, my favorite antique shop just opened up and I bought, I had to buy something. (laughs) (laughs) I had to support, (laughs) I have an excuse, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, I think, you know, shop local, start supporting those small businesses and, and get outside and go to, I would say, I mean, everybody makes their own personal choices and you have to be willing to live with the repercussions of those choices. Um, but if, if you're up for it, like I've been going to the parks the whole time. So, yeah, no, that's a, um, it's, it's great. And I think the, the other thing to remember is the large companies love this, um, because they're still in business. Like Amazon, if you have a choice between getting something from Amazon, but, or like maybe normally you would go to your local, let's, since everyone thinks this is a knitting channel, let's pretend you would go to your local yarn shop <laughs> to get more yarn. Uh, but you can't cause your yarn shop is closed. You're more likely to order from, from Amazon who is allowed to ship you yarn. And so, uh, the, the large companies like this because they can survive this because they're doing their business is fine. Um, even if they're taking a hit, they have more cash to survive, but it's the small mom and pops that are going to get put out of business. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And if this is a, you guys, you know, who else has been talking about this? I haven't listened to it myself yet, but my fellow has been listening to Jimmy door, uh, Jimmy door. If you're not aware, maybe if you're on the right and you're not familiar with him, Jimmy door is uh, far left, I would say, not an SJW, but actual leftist. He's a leftist progressive. And I really like the true progressives. I do, because um, th- if you are a true progressive, you're not an SJW. The, th- the problem is you get people, th- this is why defining words and terms matter so much, because there's so much confusion. There are people who call themselves progressive or call themselves who liberal, liberal, but their beliefs are not liberal. Their beliefs are not progressive. Their beliefs are, are regressive. You know, those those people are the people I call the SJWs or the leftists. And they they don't like SJ, the term SJW anymore, or they used to. And now, so they try to say they're these other things. It's like, no, you're not. You are an authoritarian. Your beliefs are authoritarian. Um, your beliefs are about identity politics based Marxism. You were not a progressive or liberal. Sorry. Anyway, I'm getting a little off subject. Jimmy Dore is a progressive on the left. He has a really great podcast and he's been talking about a lot of the same stuff. And he's been talking about how these small businesses are going under and the big corporations are doing just fine. All the big box stores that have chains, you know, Walmart's still open, but your local mom and pop shops are closed. And these big stores are going to start buying up a lot of the mom and pop shops and a lot of the real estate and stuff from places from the the local places that are going under. And it it's just, you know, this bailout that they did, this corporate bailout, it who does it help? It helps all those big companies. It helps all those big corporations. And if you want to listen to somebody who's talking about the same stuff, but from a left perspective and progressive perspective, I would say, watch some Jimmy Dore. It's, you know what I find really interesting, Carter, is 
this is how you can tell the difference between someone who's pursuing truth and someone who is committed to ideology or partisanship or party. Someone who's pursuing truth, you're not always going to be able to predict their opinion on something. Um, because just like with science, like you go where the evidence leads you. And that's why you can have someone like Jimmy Dore, who's a progressive and someone like Mike Cernovich, who we got to talk to recently, who's on the right. Um, and they will overlap on certain things because their pursuit of truth, even though they're coming from two entirely different philosophies and different perspectives, and they have completely different policy opinions on a lot of things, they overlap like a Venn diagram on certain things because that's where the pursuit of truth leads them. I find that fascinating, those those places where people overlap. Um, and then, but a partisan will never, <laughs> a partisan or an ideologue is never gonna overlap on those things because they're not searching for truth they're searching for things that support their pre-existing beliefs. And so they will always be, you will always be able to predict their position because it's whatever their tribe's position is. They're never going to surprise you with an opinion, probably. Um, and when they see something like these protests, for example, there are lots of progressives like Jimmy Dore. There are people who are in that progressive camp who support these protests. I mean, think about it. Progressives were behind the Occupy Wall Street protests, they're anti-big banks, they're anti-corporate bailouts. Um, one downside of these protests being, um, being having a lot of imagery, like a lot of people wearing Trump stuff or stuff on the right, is that you play into this idea that it's just this is a partisan thing and these are just people on the right. It's not. There are progressives out there too. That's why I thought it would have been cool if they didn't brand it like any party or anything because you play into this media... A partisan and the me the media who are partisan, you, if you look at if you insist on interpreting everything through this right or left lens or you know Republican Democrat lens, then you're going to look at the protests and say, oh, I see a lot of people on the right. That's a right thing. I'm against it. Right. Well, a progressive doesn't do that. A progressive doesn't say, I'm against it. A progressive, if they're searching for truth and they're honest, is probably going to be out there with you. Anyway, I'm, I'm yeah, kind of rambling I, now. No, I'm not sure I agree with you. Really? Okay. Uh, first of all, I don't like progressives either. I mean, I don't like social justice warriors, but they're, you know, social justice warriors are not the only devil that I'm fighting. Um, so, uh, I, I hear what I, so I partly agree with you. Uh, I hear what you're saying a little bit that if you're searching for truth on an issue. So for example, um, on the issue of the coronavirus stuff, um, when we talk about the actual risks and with the virus and what's actually going on with the virus, like medically or um, epidemiologically, we're trying to get at the truth. And um, and we might overlap with people on the left trying to get at the truth there and people on the right trying to get at the truth there. And, and yeah, so you'll have that overlap. Um, however, I think if you are principled, people should be able to predict, like, you should be able to protect most of my views on almost everything. <laughs> like I've, I have some pretty basic principles. So Carrie, am I, do I think that the government should force you to buy a Pinto? Wait, hold on. A Pinto bean? Okay. Any, any Pinto, any kind of Pinto. <laughs> no, of course not. 
okay, do I think the government should, like, uh, you know, space aliens land tomorrow, uh, and they clearly demonstrate themselves to be rational, and they're not harming anyone. Can we shoot them? I see the, I see the, I see where you're going. Let me, I already, I already see where you're going. Let me counter this, and let me clarify something I said. For a person who is led by ideology or political party, you know, who's beholden to that over being beholden to principle, they won't be able to predict your answers because they're going to they're going to expect that you are like them. And so right. if you so, say something that is seems right to them or seems left to them, then and they view you as being the other like with me. I'm still liberal, right? But I get called a right winger all the time by people who look at the world in this very limited right left way, of, who are on the left and you know view the world like everything has to be put in one of these two boxes. And I don't understand why she's criticizing X Y Z and like like Jimmy Dore's progressive. He spends a lot of time criticizing Obama and Clinton and these other uh, neoliberals and you know they're you know, bailing the banks out. Like if you are that kind of partisan and that's all you see, you might, and you just watch one episode, you might be like, he's on the right, which is crazy. It couldn't be further than from his beliefs. He's not on the right. Right. But yeah. So, so with that clarification, I think I, I agree with you. Um, it's, uh, there are definitely the, the partisan camps who are, do, who do not think in terms of principles at all, but rather are, a mob with a collection of of uh, a collection of beliefs, which are somewhat ad hoc, often actually related in some way, but also just somewhat ad hoc. They're 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 trying to be whatever the group says. Uh, they find it baffling when you, someone like Jimmy Dore, who I don't agree with his principles, but he sounds like a more of a principled person, is like agrees with them on this thing, but not on this thing, um, yeah, because that's where his uh, principles lead him. So yeah, no, I agree with that. I just, you know, I, I just want to be careful. And by the way, I am no, old enough that I was talking about the Ford Pinto, which I realized <laughs> was retarded to say. <laughs> no, thank you for helping me clarify what I believe. Because, yeah, I'm glad you disagree with me because you're right. It, you're right. A person with principles, you, you should be able, if you understand what their principles are, you should be able to predict their position on a lot of things. It's just that, you know, people project a lot. So a lot of people don't base any of their beliefs on principle. They just base it on what part. Right, that's the problem. No one understands principled thinking. And they don't understand principles. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they, right. they can't predict what you're going to say, Carter, because they do not understand principles. They think that you must be like them, which is based on what tribe you're in. Now I can predict your views. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. They're, they're tribalists. They're not thinking principle. Right? And, you know, the thing is, philosophy is uh, is a... Philosophy is like an IQ cheat sheet because like you don't like a few a few principles and a few basic foundations you can like suddenly unmask uh things that appear to be very complex for other people you can be like well here's the here's a way to think about it from a principle perspective and like oh wow that's really great and it, it actually it's not you don't have to be smart to do it you just have to start from the right principles um and know how to apply principles so uh principles are great and they're necessary for society otherwise we're we're solving every new problem and addressing every new issue from scratch every time. And that's just like a, that's a cognitive task that's basically impossible for people to do. Um, but uh, we should say thank you to Sandykins57, who gave us a super chat a while ago that we uh, have not been talking about. She says, Thank you, Sweden, Sandykins. 
Yeah, she says in Sweden, there is no increase in the death rate for under 65-year-olds compared to previous five years from the same period. I didn't see that, but, um, you know, we'll see when this whole thing, this is the thing, when this whole thing is over, two years from now, we'll be able to look back and collect stats and figure out what was true and what wasn't true. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe that's true about Sweden. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't doubt it. So let's see. We have, I think there was another super chat that I missed. Um, Daniel? Yeah. Daniel wants to advertise. Daniel is officially renting out his space uh, on super chat. So anyone who, <laughs> anyone who wants Daniel's super chats, uh, it cost him $5 for the super chat. I don't know what he rents the space out for, but um, you know, you can inquire at Daniel Keen. Thank you, Daniel. Um, okay. Well, Carrie, now do we, we, we want to talk that. about something? Uh, can, can we take a... Can we talk we about should... something about the American spirit that I'm really excited about? Yes. Yes. That okay. would be a great... That would be a great... Uh, yes. This, that would be a great this, segue. If you guys haven't seen this yet, I sent this article to Carter and I was like, can we make... Can we name this episode... DPs, DPs for Liberty. There's, DPs. A re- there's a reason Anthony Weiner is in our graphic today. <laughs> um, this tickled my soul. Like I was laughing so hard. So you guys may or may not know, but some of these mayors, some of these local tyrannical governments have uh, set up snitch lines. I mean, talk about not being cognizant of history or not, not being able to trace a line and see how your behaviors have have uh they're nothing new that they've they've existed in the past these kind of behaviors la mayor garcetti was one of them he 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 went and did a press conference where he said on camera you may have heard that snitches get stitches but i'm here to tell you that snitches get rewards right oh encouraging people to turn on their friends and family and neighbors and turn people in for not social distancing um de blasio did the same thing he set up a tip line if you see anybody who's not complying or any business that's open. We have, his, we have open. his tip video, I think. You want to watch it? Uh, yeah, hold on. Let me let me see if I can pull his tip video up. So he basically, same thing, he set up a tip line. You get rewarded if you turn people in. Yeah, and, let's see. Let me, let me try and make it big. And uh, let me try and make the sound work. All right. All right, everyone. Let me know. Let me know if uh, if this works. Here is de Blasio. New Yorkers, you have been extraordinary at social distancing. And let me tell you, it has taken every fiber of our beings to figure out how to do this because we're warm, emotional people. We're used to being close to each other. We're used to being packed in the subway cars and we've had to do the exact opposite and figure out how to keep distance. It's not natural for us. It's not normal for us, but you've done it. You've done an amazing job. Now look, Thank you, everyone who's done it the right way. But we still know there's some people who need to get the message. <gasps> and that means sometimes making sure the enforcement is there to educate people and make clear we got to have social distancing. So now it is easier than ever when you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything, you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. And now it's as simple as taking a photo. All you got to do is take the photo and put the location with it, and bang, send a photo like this, and we will make sure that enforcement comes right away. Text the photo to 311-692, and action will ensue. 
Enforcement will come to Enforcement. get the help we need, or you can use the 311 app, send that photo there, and okay. we'll make sure immediately there's Enforcement notice, by there. the way, Carrie, do you notice how they use, you notice how they use the word education? <laughs> yeah. You need to be educated. You need to be educated. There's a couple creepy words he uses there. Enforcement, he's being very clear about, but he goes, maybe some people haven't gotten the message yet. That makes me think of the mafia. Like you need to yeah. send a message. And it, it's it also when uh, the news came out in the Philippines, they were saying they they gave the okay for the police force to start shooting people if they went outside of their home, and that was shared in one of my local community te Texas you know Facebook groups. And there were people who seemed to like it. They were like, "Well, maybe now they'll get the message." Wow, get the message, right? It's a really authoritarian thing to say. Well, hey, that's that's how communism works. You get the message once you're dead. Oh, I understand. Yeah. We're equal. You get the uh, message. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what, here's what, here's the, a, here's, here's what warms way, my heart. What? The, the other thing that is funny to me is that, uh, the left, the left is really into central planning, right? They believe that there should be like some panel of experts that figures out the price of corn in Iowa or whatever. And they handle that for you. Can't let the free market, you know, the famous one, the one they do all the time is price of labor, right? Like, oh, this is the minimum wage and no one should agreeably enter into a position in which that's a different number or a lower number. So they always imagine that they're these experts that that can totally do outdo the free market. They know better. Uh, they know how to make sure that the free market is kept in check because, you know, they understand everything so well. And yet he doesn't know what's going to happen when he gives out a phone number and tells people to text pictures to it in New York City. <laughs> they well, uh, this is this is I, what know, warms... I know what might happen. What might happen? Anthony so, Weiner lives in your town. So this is what warms my heart about this story. And this is the article I sent Carter, and it's it's been reported in a few other places, but the first one I saw was New York Post. His tip line was flooded with images of penises, com, com, colloquially known as DPs. We will call them DPs. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Wait, what are you showing now? The control uh, board? I'm showing the wrong thing. Hold on for oh, just okay. a second. Uh, I don't know how to unshare my screen. There we go. That's what I want to share. I'm sure you're oh, yeah. a switcher. Jen there we says, go. Jen says you're stealing my thunder. Here's my thunder. God bless Americans. <laughs> God bless the American spirit and a good sense of humor. They sent him DPs. They sent him Hitler memes. I'm sure you guys have seen that Hitler meme that says if you turn in your neighbor for not social distancing, you've done the right thing. Um, they sent him pictures of their middle finger. Yep. It was flooded. We will fight this tyrannical overreach. F you to those turning <laughs> in your neighbors and local businesses. You did the right thing. The right thing. That was the one that you just said. Um, yeah. Start flooding <laughs> their reporting text numbers with pics. Uh, eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> um, you know, all the, you know what? And I will say um, just these are exactly the right things that you should. Send. He got exactly what he should have gotten out of it. <laughs> Carter, does this make you love America? <laughs> it. I mean, it does make me love the spirit of America, and uh, and it gives me hope that there's some, uh, that there's some American spirit left in the population. I know I'm often the curmudgeon who believes that it's all over and we're gonna all have to move to Montana with Maria, but uh, 
yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it's, it's great that there's people uh, responding that way because Carter, that's what he deserves. What, what are you willing to do? Are you going to send a DP? <laughs> what will you do for your country, no. Carter? <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not send a DP to de Blasio, but uh, I can, de Blasio, this is, this is for you. There you go. Um, I, I felt like flipping de Blasio off before this. So that's an easy, that's a no, no brainer for me. Um, but it's related to something else you were talking about, Carrie. Um, I think it's related. You might not, you might not think it's related, but I'm going to, I'm going to show you why. Here's what I think it's related to. Um, oh, I sent you this too. Yeah. I forgot about yeah, this. Yeah. So Carrie sent me this article for those of you listening, this says the white male is the biggest risk in spreading the virus. Now, this actually made me, um, this warmed my heart as well a little bit. Not the, not the title, but when I read it, um, I actually have a similar sense of optimism for our country when I read this, because um, this article basically says the problem is, um, according to a recent UK-wide poll, 3.6 million people are ignoring social distancing, a um, bunch of them aren't washing their hands, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they start talking about this thing called, they, they were saying that they're blaming millennials, but this article says this is wrong. By the way, I haven't checked this data on the article. I'm just assuming we're just going by the, this article says. Uh, the group that will disobey warnings in a crisis more than any other is older white men. It's known <laughs> as the white male effect. Not all older white men expose themselves to greater unnecessary risk by failing to trust or act on warnings, and not all women or young people will play ball either. Um, blah, blah, blah. But a far higher proportion of older white men will expose themselves oh, to risk, <coughs> to de Blasio, and to risk, than any other group, including millennials. Research repeatedly demonstrates that white men, especially older ones, consistently ignore warnings. They have a greater distrust of officialdom and experts, believe more in their own instincts to be right over anyone else's, and have a higher tendency to not do what they are told, even if it is for their own good or for the good of others. They believe in their own invincibility and immortality. In tornadoes, older white men compared to anyone else are less likely to take shelter. I totally <laughs> I would totally want to chase a tornado if I lived in tornado country. In floods, they are far more likely to refuse to leave the area. During COVID-19, it means many won't stay home to save lives. Yeah, but uh, you're a white male and you sheltered in place before they even told anyone to. I did, yeah. I mean, because, you know, it doesn't mean that they're going to always do this. Uh, but I, I guess um, here's, what, here's what excites me about it. That's the spirit of America. Like, you need risk takers. You need people who are going to thumb their nose at authority, who are going to take a risk, even if it's a dumb risk. Look, some of us take dumb risks, and there are Darwin Awards for those of us, and that does happen. But the, the, uh, the personality of risk taking and thumbing your nose at authority is that's the personality of an entrepreneur. Like, that's what built this fucking nation. That's what you need. They are inadvertently crediting older white males with all success. I don't believe that's true, by the way. I'm not saying all white, male, white males are, are responsible for all success. I'm just saying by blaming older white men, uh, if you actually look at what they're saying, older white men get credit by, these, by this article. This is what you need risk taking to move culture forward. That's what you need. 
they are they are make they are trying to make this racial and sexual again when when it's not. It's like when they when they teach this stupid SJW curriculum in schools and they say, you know, being on time is uh, and 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 meritocracy are symptoms symptoms of whiteness. It's like that's so racist. <laughs> it's right. Like, I mean, I'm flattered, a, but really, that's a little really racist. <laughs> that's so racist. It, 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 they don't even hear themselves. What I, I like about this piece is. Do you notice how they they coin terms and then they want to act like this is something we've all agreed on oh, because the, they like have the white male effect is something we all know yeah. because because they yeah. have a term for it just like white privilege and white fragility and toxic masculinity now they have they're like it's known as the white male effect <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh yes that's the white oh, male effect oh excuse me <laughs> you've got a name for it and look open that up one more time I want to uh, there right, was one, one sentence there let's see <laughs> there it is. Okay, the white male effect is caused primarily by the education system. <laughs> yes. And society. I can't see the left. What's it say? Can you read the rest? Oh, of it that? says. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why this is not visible. Um, the white male effect is caused primarily by the education system and society as a whole, which encourages white men to believe in their own superiority. That's insane. <laughs> the longer a white get... man lives in Western society, which, by the way, was almost all white men for a long time, uh, the longer he's exposed to subtle influences that tell him he knows best. <laughs> okay, this is the thing. It's not superiority. They're they're making a huge jump there. Being uh, questioning authority, okay, doesn't mean that you believe your race is superior. That's a huge. These things don't go together. It's like. They question, you know, you, they're questioning authority. Therefore, they believe their race is superior. You're, what, is the, what are these connections you're making that don't exist? Honestly, this article is one of the biggest tributes I could ever pay to white men. I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's like, they take risks. Therefore, they believe. <laughs> yes, they don't superior. care about authority. Yeah. Great. Great. It's good. You should, you should, everybody, regardless of your race and sex, you should question authority. That's nothing to do with believing that your race and sex are superior. What, the, what are you talking about? Can you imagine rewinding to like the days of Martin Luther King and be like, well, Martin, uh, we all know it's really old white men who question authority and, yeah. <laughs> and take risks. Uh. Uh, maybe like, like, do you identify as an old white man? Because they're the ones who question authority and take risks. Like, I know. I, it's just, and yeah, like, Yes, sometimes this is, you know, I'm going to say this about guys general. This is a male thing generally. Males have higher levels of testosterone, uh, which shouldn't need to be said in 2020, but here we are. Uh, and males, partly as a result of testosterone, males, there are psychological differences. Males tend to take more risks. Now, what that means is some of the riskiest males die off because. They're the guys who are like, I'm going to strap balloons to my lawn chair and see if I can get to space. It's like, all right, well, like, he died. Um, but I don't actually, I don't think that guy died, but whatever. Uh, but there are, but some of those people succeed, and that's how great things happen. Some of those people are like, I'm going to see if I can walk to California from New York and see what's on the other side of this country when there's no infrastructure and I've got to yeah. hack my way through the woods with a machete and there are cannibalistic tribes that could attack me. Like, that's a dumb risk. But someone took it 
and thank God they took it for all of our yeah. sakes, right? Every, anyone who starts a company, especially people with dependents, is like, well, I'm going to risk my, my future of my children and my house and my well-being on this harebrained idea, and maybe it will fail. And, and sometimes it does fail, and those people don't get noticed. But uh, sometimes you end up with Microsoft and cheap computing or Apple or whatever. Like, uh, well, Apple probably wasn't uh, founded on nothing. Maybe it was. I don't know the story of Apple. It doesn't matter. Uh, risks are what what moves society forward, that you need risk-taking. If everyone just listened to authority and shut up and didn't take any risks, we would still be ruled by kings. So I, I really, this is an ode to white men, and I don't, I don't get... I don't get how everyone doesn't see that. Oh, Carrie left. Look, I'm gonna leave the camera on so we on Carrie's uh, chair here, so we can look at Carrie's chair. There's Carrie, everyone. She has turned invisible, and uh, we will not be seeing her anymore. Let's see if she told me someone. Oh, she sent me a Skype. I'm embarrassing her now. She sent me a Skype that said I have to pee. Here's Carrie back. Carrie's back. I'm really sorry. I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I chose to leave the camera on your empty chair and and read everyone your your uh your signal message to me. Oh no! <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so that's what you get. <laughs> well, like I joked with you the other day, I got back here so fast because I didn't wash my hands. I'm kidding. Nice. I'm kidding. Nice. <laughs> well, welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it was an I emergency. Was... I was like, Carl will be fine. <laughs> Wait, I, you know what I should have done with people uh, while you were out? I was ranting anyway, probably. People were annoyed with my ranting. Uh, I should have uh, I should have done this. I wanted to... I should share memes while we're out. This is one of my favorite memes uh, I've seen in the last two days. Okay. Uh, it says... So it's a picture of Paul Revere yelling, The British are coming. And then there's some citizen there <laughs> whose, whose dialogue box is, is the Instagram um, false information thing. And it says, false information reviewed by independent fact checkers. <laughs> See why. <laughs> I don't know why that's I love funny. that, but I think that's great. That's, uh, this is literally what's happening in our society right now. Uh, and another one I want to share with you, uh, Plato's Allegory of the Cave. I don't know if everyone will get this, but this is a family sitting and watching uh, TV. yeah. That one really struck me as uh, very, very true. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Yeah, if you guys have, haven't have seen uh, Cernovich's documentary about fake news yet called Hoaxed, there's a really great piece at the end about Plato's analogy of the cave. And um, who's in that bit? It's what's-his-face? Molyneux is in that bit. But it's a really good... Yeah. I thought I thought it ended in a. It was a really nice way to end the film. Yeah, um, Molyneux was being Molyneux a little bit with it, but yes, uh, it was a good. It was a good way to end the film. Um, Carrie, I guess there is one other thing that uh, there's there's a couple other things that we could talk about. One of them, um, I'm totally shocked that this is. I, well, all right, I shouldn't say that I'm shocked about this. I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it was Kent Anufrachuk who sent me this, so I want to I want to share this article. We're just switching gears a little bit away from coronavirus okay. because um, this is so we hear a lot about 
we've been hearing a lot about diversity as our strength, diversity, 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 and obviously the left is very into diversity. Um, we've heard studies, like Robert Putnam has done studies about diversity actually not being the strength that everyone claims it is. You get uh, less, uh, even in-group uh, cohesion it, uh, goes down in more diverse neighborhoods, that kind of thing. We don't have to talk about all those right now, but one interesting one is, you know, the left is all about diversity, but the other thing they're all about is unions. And I found this uh, revelation fascinating. This is according to leaked documents from Whole Foods. Now, Whole Foods tracks, Whole Foods tracks, um, they, they score their stores based on diversity. So um, the, here it says, the store's individual risk scores are calculated from more than two dozen metrics, including employee loyalty, turnover, and racial diversity. So they use a diversity index to, to track how diverse their stores are. And they noticed something about this. They noticed that their stores using a diversity index, um, and they noticed that uh, the threat of unionization by employees is higher at stores with lower diversity. In other words, diversity is a mitigating factor for preventing employees from unionizing which is quite fascinating. And it kind of makes sense if you understand the, um, if you understand the correlation between diversity and social cohesion, like it, it doesn't actually, it's the opposite of what the left says. They always imagine like diversity is our strength. It actually does cause, uh, it does cause breakdown in, in cohesion. You get more infighting and more fighting between groups, um, both. And uh, you can just put your, Whole Foods worker hat on, I guess, and think like, okay, if everyone around you is very, very relatable, like very similar in every way, same economic class, same race. I mean, I'm not saying that this is how you should judge people, but people do view each other in these ways, right? Um, then you're more likely to be able to like hang out together and start talking about a union and talk about working together to build a union. But if you've got um, fractured groups, if you've got different um, different fractured parts of your organization and like these people are being in, uh, segregating over here and these people are segregating over here and you, you've kind of breaking it down um, and you've got not only diversity but isolated diverse groups which is the way the left likes to do things right they like to have segregation and not have you know safe spaces for different groups well then you don't get the groups talking to each other as much you don't have the cohesion inside groups as much and which is the result Robert Putnam noticed and as a result, you're less likely to have a to, to rally behind a common cause like let's have a union. I just thought that was interesting. I think it's interesting, and but I also my gut tells me that it it it's probably changed in the past ten years or so or fifteen years because we were reaching like we've talked about on the program a lot before. We were reaching a place. We were progressing to a place where your tribe like in terms of um, your immutable characteristics, your race and your, your gender and things like that didn't matter as much or sexuality. But what's happened with my old ideology, SJWism is, is pushing and reinforcing these, these divides on, on racial, gender, sexuality lines. And so um, things Someone are in much- chat just called them ethnic enclaves, <laughs> which I think is a good- Yeah. yeah. Well, they, it's much worse now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Like now, if you, if you look at like people have bought into all this this crap that the media has been feeding them to such a degree 
that, um, you know, it's like we were progressing towards race, not ma- not mattering and, and gender not mattering and, and sexuality not mattering in terms of how you treat an individual or view them or refer to them or think about them or talk with them or associate with them. And now it's suddenly it's like, you know, you've seen it colleges, they're doing increasingly segregated graduations. Now there's, there's um, all of this intense focus on whatever identity group you're in. So I would say it's gotten a lot worse. Probably. I would like to see stats on this from like the late nineties. How interesting would that be to compare the two? Yeah. I think it has gotten worse in it. One thing to point out, I, and I think this is the the big thing that this diversity is our strength kind of crap, and even people who are looking at diversity um, miss the point of like trying to make a claim about diversity does this or diversity does that or whatever. Um, I don't actually think diversity is the driver for many of these thing these things at all, frankly. Uh, I, I think if you researched more, you would understand or come to realize. And again, this is just I have a hypothesis that. Um, it's the it's the cultural and it's a it's the attitudes and the culture that matters. So, uh, one thing that we you know, it might be great to have people of different perspectives together. Um, diversity that might help. Different mm-hmm. diverse perspectives might help in a culture in which everyone shared the uh, common belief that we should uh, ignore non-important ethnic differences and that kind of stuff. We should ignore skin color. We, like when you're striving towards colorblindness and you're describing, when you're all striving towards individuality and we have a culture in which individualism is respected and everyone is striving to treat everyone as an individual regardless of all those other characteristics, then I could see an argument being made for, well, you if you have some diverse people around, then, uh, you know, from different perspectives, then you'll get, you might actually get uh, maybe more productivity or whatever. But the problem is the minute you focus on getting diverse people around, you uh, betray the fact that you're not actually thinking about things in terms of individualism. You're thinking about things in terms of what class or group or uh, people are members of. And so actually what's – oh, crap, sorry. There's a tab making noise in my ear. Hold on. Freaking thing. Um I lost my train of thought. So actually, so what happens is because you have focus on on this, what you've seen in the past 20 years is not what's important isn't that you're seeing more diversity. It's that what you're seeing is a change in attitudes where um, we are becoming hyper aware of the differences between us. And that can only cause problems. Um, so I actually don't think that the what matters, I don't think is the diversity, the ethnic diversity of a particular group. I think what matters more probably is the uh, the cultural alignment towards individualism as a goal and individualism as the standard. Where if we're all ignoring, or if we're all trying to not ignore, if we're all trying to not to, to not care about ethnic differences and make those not valuable from a moral perspective, and we're treating each other like individuals, then then maybe diversity could help. But the minute that you focus on it, um, it creates its own problem because now you're no longer focusing on individualism and you're encouraging people to identify with particular groups. And as soon as I'm identifying with one group, I'm not identifying with another group, and you're gonna cause fracturing. So I don't use... think this you should be looking at diversity generally. So you can use the 
uh, diversity along demographics, along immutable characteristics to change the ideological diversity. Because so what they did to me, the way I got sucked into SJW ideology is I got sucked into the feminist part of it first. And they teach you to view yourself as part of this collective as you know, I'm a woman and therefore I'm a victim and I'm oppressed in these ways. Right. And they teach you to start to view being a woman as a core part of your identity. Right. And they do the same thing with race and sexuality and all these different never ending categories they're creating. Um, and you know, I was talking to, uh, it, it changes the way you think about things. It, it can change your whole ideology without you realizing it. It's a slow thing. A friend of, course, of mine, of course, a friend of mine was telling me a story cause she's just, has just started learning about this stuff cause I talk about it a lot. And, um, she was saying, you know, it helped her to understand some things a lot better. One being she's watched over the past couple years as so, mutual friends of hers. Um, uh, one of whom is a woman of color and very successful and confident person, how these white women who were friends of hers started to say stuff to her about, see their SJWs and they've started to say stuff to her about, you know, um, all the oppression you've faced and all the stuff you've, and you know, I can't imagine. And, and as a woman of color, I'm going to let you do blah, blah, blah and say this. And they, they'd slowly work it into conversation. And she was like, you know, when it first started happening, this friend of mine was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not oppressed or I'm not, you know, but over time she's really transformed herself and seeing herself as this victim of her race now. And that's become her ideology. Isn't that amazing? It's yeah. like they, they can pull you in on a personal way and then and then they get you to accept the all the broader ones too, you know. As soon as I got roped into the feminist side of it, I got roped into the critical race side of it too. And then, you know, I'm taught that I have white privilege and that becomes a part of your identity as well. And then you have to go around own quote owning your whiteness and your privilege and you know then you get sucked into the sexuality part of it and then and then then next thing you know you've got you see their Twitter bios or like, you know, I am a white cis, um, you know, bisexual, uh, fat woman with bipolar disorder. And then it's like every single uh, quote unquote identity category they're in. But they've now changed the whole way they look at the world. Isn't that right. in insane? And they start, it started with one of their immutable characteristics, but now it's their ideology. I don't right. know. If I'm making well, no, sense. I mean that, yeah. and that's what happens. I guess, I guess, I guess that's kind of my point. In that, if you focus on, if you switch from individualism, so individualism doesn't care uh, what group you're in. If yeah. you switch from individualism to tribalism, which is what that is, that all that we use the term collectivism, but like more specifically, this is tribalism. If you if you switch to tribalism and you start talking about what tribe people are in, uh, then it will create problems and it doesn't matter like any potential benefits you might have gotten secondarily by, by, by accident, by having diverse people in your group will be overshadowed by the problems that will be created because you've now, um, you've now infected tribalism into the entire group. And so everyone is viewing themselves as parts of tribes. And once you've been taught to view yourself as a part of tribe, um, uh, you know, uh, it's easy to be parts of other tribes. I mean, this is one of the techniques. Did, did you, um, 
don't know if you've ever read, I don't know if we've talked about this, but if you've ever read Gavin DeBecker. Um, I have not. The, okay, he has a book called The Gift of Fear. It's about personal um, security, basically. But he has a list of pre-incident indicators. Um, and these are things that when you're out, uh, like if someone's going to kidnap your kid or maybe kidnap you or whatever, there's there's things that they do. Like um, uh, they'll, they'll give too many details, which indicates that they might be lying or typecasting. There's like these different things that they do. Um, and he calls them pre-incident indicators. And one of the pre-incident indicators is forced teaming. And forced teaming is when... Um, you will let's say you're you're in line with someone at the store and the person um the person the guy behind you intentionally tries to make it seem like you guys are on one team and someone else or other people are on another team um through comments that they'll make so like oh we're really having to fight this other thing over here right like there's two of us against them right the force to, like putting you in a team with them where like you don't you're not you're not in a team with them right um this is one of the techniques that is used, and it's used to actually lower people's um, defenses because you, it's, it's, uh, we probably have hardwired like tribal association circuitry in our brain, I imagine. So this person's trying to trigger it, being like, oh, we're on the same side. I'm, I'm the trusted group. And they'll use language that's like, we are this and they are that, and they'll, it's called forced teaming. Um, and it's very similar to what uh, the social justice warriors or basically the intersectional tribalist crowd does it's forced teaming. It's like, oh, well, you're a woman like me. Um, you're oppressed like me, or you're this, like you're mm -hmm. in that group. Like you're, you're forcing people on a team that they yeah. didn't identify with as an individual. Yeah. We, and think of the language too, you know, I'm, I'm your ally. I'm your white ally. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The language is like that too. I'm uh, your we male ally. Yeah. We should thank little, yeah, I'm your male ally. Yeah. Well that, right. But that's the predators. The, the, that's how the predators do it. Right. They're, they're forced teaming. Um, yeah. uh, we should thank a uh, little ragamuffin and super chat says she gave us five bucks and she says diversity and labels is the death of critical thought and choice. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, little ragamuffin. It is. Yeah. it is. And it's, it's, I don't know. It's crazy how quickly people can be pulled into it and it can change your whole underlying method of beliefs. Your whole yeah. underlying system of beliefs can change slowly as you get pulled into it. And once you've accepted this collectivist thing, by the way, speaking of individualism and collectivism, remember that uh, professional SJW, the professor, we, we read an article that he had written in which he overtly attacked individualism and said that individualism is a white supremacist talking point. Do you remember that, Carter? Was that the guy who was like, uh, I've been accused said, of like wanting death yes. to white people and, uh, and yes. Basically, yes, or because whatever, yeah. he basically said, yes, some white people are going to have to die for like the revolution, right? Whatever. Yeah. So this, I've now, it's trickled down far enough. I've heard this in a local Facebook group now. Like here in my local community in Texas, it's not a group based on political politics or ideology or anything. Somebody actually said this to me the other day in comments. It was a coronavirus discussion, but this person started talking about how we all have to sacrifice for the collective and for the public good. And I'm like, wow, uh, no. <laughs> like, and I'm like, no, individualism does not require me to sacrifice for the collective or for the public good. And so then they saw the word individualism it triggered something in them and they spat out this, this stuff that we've seen. It's now trickled down to some normie, maybe not normie, but they're, this person revealed themselves to be an SJW, but 
they said, oh, individualism, that's a white supremacist talking point. I'm like, okay, the words proletariat have, has it now, yeah. <laughs> right, I'm like, okay, words have meaning. I realize you're just repeating something you've heard, like copying and pasting. But think about what you're saying. White supremacy is a form of collectivism. Collectivism is when you say the group status, mat, your, whatever group you're in based on race or sex or sexuality, but in the case of white supremacists, based on race, you're saying yet your group status, your race matters more than who you are as an individual and more than your individual character. It is literally a collectivist ideology. It is not about individualism. It is the individualism is the antidote of, to collectivism. It's the antidote to white supremacy. And it's also the antidote to your messed up SJW belief system. You have more in common with white supremacists. You have a lot in common with them. <laughs> oh, like, I mean, their talking points are almost identical. Um, they're almost I mean, identical, yeah. Yeah. This article that we just read about uh, white men taking more risks could easily have been coming from some white supremacist website that they, they would just have to change the uh, value that they attach to that rather than that being a bad thing. They would just be like, that's a good thing. And that they're the end. Yeah. Same, same logic. Yeah. They just um, spit out somebody in the chat says, Daniel Keene says that's the definition of a non-player character. Yeah, an NPC. It's someone who's just spitting out the code. They they don't think about the, they they don't think about what the words I'm like words have meaning. What does individualism mean? What does collectivism mean? If you know what those words mean, you can't say what you just said and believe it. <laughs> like, right. Right. Well, and and it, the other thing is they I, I Here's the justification that I've heard for this, which is horribly racist, but I, I, this is what this is coming from the left. This is the justification I've heard. Uh, well, a society based on individualism and property rights and like individual freedom favors white men. So that's why it's racist. Uh, and like that seems to me like one of the most racist things you can say. Like, what do you mean it favors? Like, how does that favor white men? And, you know, the only answer they could possibly give was that they, they must be white supremacists who think that white men will do better in freedom. Um, so I, I don't—it's a pretty vile ideology, but, you know, they don't care about—they don't know thinking of us in terms of principles. They're just, you know, no. like you said, they're copying and pasting ideas to try and— They're copying and pasting opinions that are not their own, and they're copying and pasting tenets of their belief system that they've learned. Just like earlier in the episode when we talked about, what was it, uh, the white male effect. You know, it's the same type of person who would say, oh, well, that's because of the white male effects. You may not have heard of it. Like— <laughs> Right, right. Ah, oh, that's the white male effect. Okay. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you have a label. Um mm -hmm. By the way, uh, Jenalyn, I don't know if I'm, it's hard because there's numbers in this uh, username, but uh, Jenalyn says in chat, says she loves Gavin, De Gavin DeBecker and Protecting the Gift is the most influential <laughs> book I've read as a parent. I just want to take a moment. I don't, Gavin DeBecker doesn't have anything to do with this show and we don't get anything for, for this. But yeah, he, he has a book called The Gift of Fear, which is just about personal protection, which is great. Um, I don't agree with his stance on guns, but uh He's, he's got a lot of great things to say. Um, that's an awesome book. In fact, I used to make um, I used to make these little cards. And you probably can't read it. Pre-incident indicators. I used to give them out to people. Uh, you, it's too bright. You can't read it. Um, that lists them so you would know uh, and have it with you. Um, 
but he also wrote a book called Protecting Gift, which is uh, for parents in particular about oh. children. And he goes against some of the mainstream uh, opinion. Like they're, they're, he doesn't like the stranger danger thing. He does not suggest that you teach stranger danger. Um, instead, he, he teaches that you train your kid to be able to use their intuition to be able to tell whether someone is um, a threat or not. Um, so uh, it's, he's got a different way of looking at it. It's a great book. just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, All right, that was there. We go for the free endorsement for Gavin DeBecker. I don't know. Cool. Um, okay, well, I don't know what else we, we got, Carrie. Is that it? Well, yeah, let's wrap up. Let's do something fun. Let's see. Somebody in chat asked, uh, Elizabeth said, What's for dinner tonight, guys? Remember not to appropriate other food cultures. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. What are you having? You've been, you were telling me you made bread. What are you having tonight? What are we having for dinner? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, okay. probably some kind of chicken. I mean, we basically have, our days consist of, uh, we eat a bunch of, we eat big breakfasts, which I, I eat literally, lately I've been eating steak, eggs, and bacon every morning for breakfast. So I do big breakfast, don't always eat lunch, uh, but right around lunchtime we go down to the freezer downstairs, pull out a slab of some kind of meat, usually sous vide it, and season it later and have it for dinner. I don't know what we're going to, I don't know what meat we're going to, but what are you going to have today? I'm having a big steak that I bought at a little tiny locally owned grocery store after Cowboy Church, and I'm excited. So, Good. and I'm gonna go out and stock up on some meat for the freezer now that people have told me about that, so that I don't run out of that. But uh, yeah, and thus the price of meat goes up even more. I think it's yeah. already gone up. Uh, so, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, again, thank you for getting us to. Um, 4,000 subscribers. We got above 4,000 subscribers this weekend. Uh, so thank you all for, for helping us do that. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. You can go to subscribestar.com uh, to support us financially and so that we can you know, continue eating steaks from the local butcher or wherever you, <laughs> wherever you got that uh, steak, Carrie. And um, yeah, I guess we'll see you, see you on Monday. Oh, Oh, one other cool thing. I'll share this with For you. Friday, by the way, I said Monday. I meant Friday. Friday. One of my friends who I've been trying to get to come stay with me, uh, who lives in California, is coming because she, oh. yeah, she's she been out of work for over a month now. She works in a non-essential field. Um, every job is essential, guys. Sorry. Anyway, I'm very excited. So... Maybe we can do, uh, she's someone I've wanted to interview for the show anyway, so she's a very interesting person. I've told you about her for Carter. Maybe we'll get to do an interview with her while she's here. I, I don't want to spoil it. I think, I think I know who you're talking about, but I don't want to spoil it, so we'll wait. Yeah, uh, cool. All right, all right have, a, have a good okay. one, everyone. Thanks. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.